Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Diana Stiegel, the creator of the popular French history podcast, The Land of Desire. And now here's our first letter. This next letter. Oh, my goodness. I love this. Um, I'm so glad that this person wrote to us. I'm so glad this person is realizing that this is a problem. The subject is, I want my friend to fail. Dear Prudence, my best friend Sue and I have been close for almost 15 years ever since we were in high school. We've taken very different life paths. Sue went to a top-ranked college, took a high-powered job, and makes a ton of money. I went to community college and scraped together a series of dead-end jobs before finally settling into a low-earning career, although it's in a field I really enjoy. I never felt secure about our different paths because I married my high school sweetheart and have joined an incredibly meaningful family life. Sue and I used to joke that between us, we had it all. I had the family and she had the career. Sue's dated probably 20 men in the past few years. All have treated her badly to varying degrees. I recommended she seek therapy. She did, and now she is starting to have more luck. I do want her to be happy, but I'm now realizing that internally I'm rooting against her. I want to be the person in the friendship who could land a guy because she got to be the person in the friendship who landed the dream job. Seeing her have more success in the dating world makes me feel incredibly secure over my choices. I'm now having to force positivity and feign interest when she tells me about her latest romantic exploits. I feel like a horrible person. She truly has no idea I want her to fail. How do I snap out of this and genuinely feel happy for Sue's newfound luck with dating? Letter writer, have you ever read the works of Elena Ferranti? I haven't, (laughs) but everything that I hear about them on Twitter suggests that you should start. As someone who has read the works of Elena Ferrante, spot on. I'm writing a prescription <laughs> right now. I assign Good. three courses of Elena Ferrante. Yes. Personally, I transitioned so I could get out of all of my fraught female friendship where the other two people already had the happy personal lives and the jobs and something had to give. And so I changed. That is a joke. That is a joke. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I'm like I, I simply choose to surround myself with people who have it all. I, I think my this this feels so cliche based on the the first letter that we talked about today. But you know, the letter writer, th- this is definitely a you problem, uh, and there's not going to be any external solution to a you problem. This is something where you you, you got to spend a little time thinking through what is going on inside of you that is being externalized in this one really specific way. Uh, Starting with this idea that both of you kind of seem to have internalized this like dichotomy that, oh, one of us gets the career and one of us gets the the life partner. Right. And it it felt like because they had been mostly joking or or saying it in a jokey tone, they kind of convinced themselves like, well, we're not really, we don't really believe that. and, And we don't really have to worry about that. We're just making a joke. But it's like, oh, now at least the letter writer is realizing like, oh, I kind of did sort of believe that that was true and that if two women are friends, you know, there has to be a constant, constant balance. Otherwise, uh, terrible things will happen. I think the thing that 
that kind of kept crying out to me in this letter is, um, I, I think this person feels like they're done. They seem mm. like, well, she got to be the person who landed the dream job and I got to be the person who landed a guy. I'm thinking like you can both be that there's lots of time uh, unless there's something that the letter writer is leaving out of this letter that would put some kind of a timeline on things. We all know people who found the love of their life after, you know, middle age or or even late into senior living. And I mean, these people are 15 years out of high school. So we're talking like, 32. oh, man, they are. Oh, I didn't even I forgot. Oh, man. Come on. We're not even at middle age. <laughs> no. What um, are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, man. My, my, my. I mean, the the thing here is, first of all, it's not simply unique to female friendships that someone could sort of realize at one point, like, oh, I've sort of enjoyed this friendship because of this assumption I had about a problem I thought my friend would always have. But I think specifically the nature of this thing, which has been, you know, a woman can either have a really fulfilling career that pays well or a man who loves her and not both. And again, the underlying thing there is because men don't really like it when a woman does well. And so I wonder if part of the fear here is like, I had the great guy maybe because I wasn't super high powered when we met. And if I ever did somehow get promoted or really pursue my career, my husband would not actually be there for me. And so part of me is aware that the fulfilling family life I enjoy is really dependent upon my always coming in second in a very real way. At which point, you know, maybe you should open that big old can of worms and think about having the sort of classic feminine mystique problem conversation with your husband. Um, and, and maybe there's the other side of it, which is simply, I have been able to convince myself that I don't really mind having a low paying job because I love my field. Um, and I was able to sort of con- convince myself of that for a long time because I sort of felt like, see, you, you you can't have a high paying job and have a nice boyfriend. And now that I realize that's not true, I'm coming awake to the fact that I maybe don't have to settle for the deal that I have, which again, doesn't mean like kick your husband over a mountain and run off and like get shoulder pads. I just mean like start having conversations about what some of your other options might be. And and then instead of like, well, that's scary and risky and maybe my husband will get mad at me. So like maybe the better thing would be for Sue to, to do worse again in life. And then I can go back to feeling comfortable with the bargains that I've made. And you realize, letter writer, that you don't actually want to feel this way. And I want to commend you for that. You have good self-awareness here. Um, it doesn't sound like you have yet done or said anything to undermine Sue. Again, good. I don't want you to feel like... Um, you're automatically bad for feeling this way, but I, I do think it's wise to want to uh, figure out a better outlet for this feeling than just like quietly hope that her next boyfriend steals all her money. <laughs> um, I, I will disagree with Danny in one respect, which is that I, I do think the letter writer should run away and get shoulder pads. Uh, I, I think that's just a good... <laughs> I, I think that's just a good strong Always power good look for, for all of us. Uh, but I, so something kind of really resonated with me personally when I read it, uh, when the letter writer talks about, you know, ooh, this phrase, finally settling into a low earning career, although in a field I really enjoy, because mm-hmm. I have to say that uh, I was saying that exact same sentence to myself uh, all the way up until I was well, probably about the age that this letter writer is. I think we're mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty similar. Uh, and then I did do a big career switch, and oh my god, I'm I I did not realize how much I was lying to myself about how much I enjoyed my career field until I was mm-hmm. no longer in that career field. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, so the only thing that I would say is, I don't know that you would be having these really intense feelings about Sue if you were really enjoying your field as much as you say that you are. Uh, And if that's the case, then like nothing about Sue or your friendship with Sue, nothing will change that underlying dilemma, which is that you are unsatisfied with your career. Uh, and the and the only advice that I'm going to have there, working off the limited knowledge that I have of this reader, the only thing that I can say with a tremendous amount of confidence is that it is not too late. It is 100% not too late to change your career. Uh, I think actually, now that I'm going through it in my head, myself, both of my parents, uh, my grandmother, like mm-hmm. everyone in my family has changed their career well past like dramatically well past the age of 30. Uh, so if that's w- doing doing that arithmetic, if that's where you are, uh, if you do realize that you don't like your career, I have great news. Yeah, <laughs> You can absolutely yeah. change it. And I then, think so too. And, and talk to your partner about wanting to do that and, and think about what are ways, you know, you're not going to go from the job you have right now to the great job overnight. But so you're going to want to think about what are little steps that I can take that will move me in that direction. To that end, I would also suggest, you know, remember how you recommended that Sue seek therapy and she did and it helped? What if you sought therapy and it helped? You know, just a thought. It works for Sue. Maybe it would be helpful to you, letter writer. Um, And then I think you can give a modified version of this to your friend, which is not to say that you should say, I've been wanting you to fail. Um, I don't think that's something that you need to share with her. But I think you can say, and again, I, I would I would suggest that this should come after your first couple of therapy sessions. Um, but you can say something like, one thing that I just want to admit is that ever since you went to therapy and things have seemed to really turn around for you, it's made me realize that there's parts of my life that I'm also dissatisfied with and that I want to see a therapist to talk about and try to you know recalibrate. And um, I'm both glad that I've realized that something was bothering me and it's also been really hard and I have felt really stuck. And I just wanted you to know that because I I didn't see it coming and it's kind of hard for me. And then that way Sue knows you are also struggling. Sue's been very vulnerable with you about her insecurities and her difficulties. And I wonder if mostly you've just done the sort of like, well, haha, I don't have a great job, but everything else is fantastic and kind of put up a little bit of a wall where you don't let her know as much when you're struggling. And this might be an opportunity to return the favor of, of honesty and vulnerability with Sue. Again, carefully, slowly, in small doses. I'm not saying you call her up tomorrow and list everything you've ever felt scared about, but that might be one way that you can tell her a version of what you've been feeling that does not look like, hey, I actually wanted your boyfriend to like steal your car because that would, I think, be very painful for Sue to hear. Speaking of things that are going to be painful for people to hear, Diana, will you read our next letter? Hey. All right. Subject. Feeling left out of in-person learning. Dear Prudence, my three children attend a high poverty school in our city center because there is a magnets arts program housed at the school that provides top-notch arts programming. Until this year, we have been very pleased with the school and we appreciate its economic and racial diversity. We are white and fairly high income, and we think it's important our children do not only exist in wealthy white spaces. However, the school's approach to distance learning has been poor, to say the least. My kids hate school now. There is little to no communication from teachers or administrators. My kids spend all day in front of the computer, say they learn nothing, and resist doing their homework. It's caused a cloud of sadness and frustration over our family all year. 
the school recently started to bring select students back for in-person, by invitation only. My kids were not invited. I reached out to find out why, because my kids are clearly not doing well with distance learning, and was told the invitations were only extended to students in the bottom 25% of academic achievement on the beginning of the year exam. The rationale was that kids who are lowest performing are most in need of learning in person. I get this, but I'm livid. My kids know they haven't been invited back and are interpreting that to mean they're not wanted at their school. I hate having to battle with them over distance learning every day while knowing other kids get to be in school and not on the computer 24-7. I'm thinking of emailing the principal or my school board representative to see if my kids can get special dispensation to learn in person. My husband says we'd be taking a spot away from a student truly in need, But my close friend teaches at the school and says there are definitely spots available. Many of the students invited to learn in person had parents who opted for all virtual learning. Is it reasonable for me to request an in-person spot for my children? Would doing so make me a Karen and or a social pariah? Is there another option I'm not thinking of? Please help. Okay, so the first Mm -hmm. thing that I want to say is we're all in a pandemic. Everybody is in an enormous pressure cooker and everyone is losing it. And Mm -hmm. I respect that. (laughs) So that means parents are losing it across the board. All teachers and all educators are losing it across the board. And the kids are losing it across the board. So we all feel really, 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 really frustrated. And no one... (laughs) We are straight up not having a good time. And I think that before I say anything else, I want to acknowledge that. And that that also means that nothing, there is no solution here that will make everybody super happy. So with that said, I, I think that by reading the last few sentences of this letter, I think the reader kind of knows they know the answer here yes uh and and i think that they are just looking for acknowledgement and validation so i will be that person i will give them that validation uh no you should not do this you should not do this and it would make you a social pariah it is not reasonable for you to request an in-person exemption for your student there is no exemption there is no there is nothing uh, in the context of the letter that you have sent with the words that you have used, no, there, there is nothing yeah. exceptional about your student's situation, your, your, your children's situation. Uh, your children are in exactly the same situation as like 150 million other kids right now. Right, it right. Is, the idea is like, I want my kids to get special dispensation and the dispensation is I'm really mad. And it's like, yeah, the, the dispensation you and all the other parents, man. They're, they're not doing well within distance learning. And boy, do I, I, I feel that. Mm-hmm. I, I know that they're not. And neither is anybody else's kids. Uh, And this won't be solved by doing exactly what your husband is saying, which is taking the spot away from someone who has even fewer resources to deal with a truly wretched state of affairs. And, and, and I think, you know, that reader, Yeah, Uh, I, I, I think you, you put that in at the end because you know, that and the voice in your head is telling you that fair enough. Thank you for writing in. I will be that person to say, yes, you should listen to that little voice. It, it, you know, it's it's a it's a percentages thing. It's 25% of the kids, which means three quarters of the kids don't get invited back. So if your kids are taking that personally, it's a great opportunity to explain to them once again what numbers mean. Um, the fact that it might be totally understandable to feel frustrated and, and annoyed, um, but that it is 
the opposite of personal. They they truly just did the math and picked the bottom performers um, and your kids weren't in it, which is no indicator of like, we don't like the kids or that we don't think they're suffering at all. It's just triage. I, I think I can totally understand a world where kids who are really miserable at home uh, and are now looking back on school as the party that they got to go mm-hmm. to every day, mm-hmm. and now they are not invited to the party. So, yeah, I totally understand that there's kids. I mean, no, I personally know. I know there are children who are, like, dying to go back to school. And, and you know, fair enough. But, I, I frankly, I think this is a great opportunity for this parent to – Take a little time and and really help them understand why they are not in that 25%. What, what is it that is preventing the school from bringing them back? That they have limited resources and that there are a lot of children who have fewer resources than they do. Yeah, uh, imagine and- that you were dealing with all of the problems you have right now, but uh, now you're in poverty. So imagine like, sorry, I don't want to get too condescending, but like when you picture that, do you imagine your situation getting worse or better? I think probably a lot worse. So this is just one of those situations where it doesn't mean that you're doing great, but other people are doing much, much worse. And, you know, you said that you were really pleased with the school and you appreciated its economic and racial diversity and you think it's important your kids don't only exist in wealthy white spaces. Well, the... You did it. (laughs) <laughs> the natural consequence of that, yeah, is that you are currently experiencing something that happens when you're not in a segregated, mostly all white, all wealthy environment, which is that like sometimes you don't get enough stuff and 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 the teachers have to make tough decisions. This is what you wanted from this school. And part of you is like, oh, I can feel this entitled, angry uh, persona within me that we've all been talking about a lot lately and have used the name Karen for, but I don't want that to be the case. And I'm so proud of myself for deciding not to segregate earlier, which I think is really the word I want to use instead of private schools. Like, good. You didn't decide to engage in school segregation. That's good. Um, Keep it up. You don't, you don't, yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. Sometimes things are hard and frustrating. If your kids don't want to sit in front of the computer all day and do their homework, maybe this is not going to be their best school year. The good news is everyone else is not going through their best school year either. Maybe there's ways that you can sometimes say like mental health day, no one's sitting in front of the computer. Everyone can fucking deal. (laughs) You know. And and I think that you are feeling a lot of rage and frustration and that's perfectly understandable. (laughs) We are all feeling that uh, parents even more so. And I think that, um, it is much easier to channel that rage and frustration into thinking about how unfair things are for ourselves. Uh, it's a really natural inclination, and it's one that uh, a lot of forces in society encourage <laughs> that we should take everything. We should always deal with systemic forces with individual action and so on. Um, and and I think this is a great opportunity to think about some of the larger systemic forces at, at play here and what's going on with these kids who are really struggling and what can we do to give them what they need so that there isn't such a huge breadth of resources available to kids, even within a single school. Uh, and this is a, the, the rage that you are feeling at a school, not having enough resources to go around for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's an appropriate rage to feel. And the question is, what is, the best way to make sure that we are able to address that inequality for all of the students and not just the ones living in your house. I think that's so good. And, and 
I think this letter writer knows that and they've got some good impulses. And I, I hope that, uh, I hope that this helps to validate that the, they should follow those impulses and not the other impulses in their brain. And yeah, fair enough. Yep. And I get that. I've had many times in my life where uh, my values and my frustrations did not line up. And I think this letter writer is already close to getting there. And so just needs that extra push, which is just, you should be mad. The situation is awful, but the right thing to do with that anger is not, how do I make sure I get my kids the last couple of seats on this lifeboat? But you know, what why is I the do? boat sinking? Yeah, why is the fucking boat sinking? Like, why is public education and public health and public safety not a bigger priority for society? And with that, I'll just, you know, vaguely pound my fist and say society four or five times and that'll solve all our problems. Yeah, we did it. All we right. did it. Woohoo. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 